I had a joke about wrestling that's on the cutting room floor, which is that I would say, like, we'd be doing push-ups. Yeah. And our team didn't have a gymnasium, but we so we practiced in our school's theater. Yeah. So the whole time, I'm lying on the mat, and I'm looking up at the stage, and I'm thinking, yeah. I should be up there. Yeah. Like, I'm not meant for this. <laughs> I should be up there. Get me off the wrestling team. Please do my hair. Please do my hair. I don't know how that ever got cut. I don't really And like then at that. the end I go, send in Burbigs. <laughs> Welcome back to Working It Out. This is Mike Burbiglia. That was the voice of my brother, Joe Burbiglia. This is a very unique episode because it is spoilers only. To continue listening to this episode, you must go to Netflix and watch The Old Man and the Pool. Um, I'm gonna be talking to my brother Joe later in the show, talking about the behind the scenes and the creation of the show. Um, so it's a very unique episode. And, uh, and thanks everybody, it's end of the year. Uh, you know, the time where we reflect on on uh, what we're thankful for. And I'm very thankful for, for all of you supporting the special, putting it in the top 10 on Netflix, which is unbelievable. I just can't even believe it. And supporting the new tour. We're about to announce in a couple weeks um, another 20 cities for fall 2024. So stay tuned for that. Join the mailing list on burbigs.com. So before we get into the episode and my conversation with Joe Berbiglia, I'm going to answer some of your questions. I went out to you. I've never done this before. On Instagram stories today, I said, do you have any questions for me about the old man in the pool? And here here are the questions, and I'm going to answer them. First question is from Kalexis. Kalexius. I don't know how to, I don't know what the pronunciation of that is. I, I apologize, Kalexius. Uh, the question is, what was the process like coming up with the breath holding bit? <laughs> that great question. Okay, I have to say, like I've done five of these solo shows now with my director Seth Barish. The first one was called Sleepwalk with Me, and then my girlfriend's boyfriend. Thank God for jokes. The new one, which was at the Court Theater on Broadway, and and this one was just called The Old Man in the Pool. And we've had a different process for for really all of them. And a lot of a lot of our process has to do with, and Seth is a brilliant theater director, actor, writer, musician. Um, but a lot of our process has to do with like figuring out like what the main event is of the show. In the case of Sleepwalk With Me, the main event was like jumping through the second story window. It's like this major thing that occurs. And then from that, there's some kind of, you know, revelation or epiphany or thought, new thought. Um, in the case of my girlfriend's boyfriend, it's like there's a car, it was a car accident. I was hit by a drunk driver and made to pay for the car. Um, and some, in some instances with these solo shows, it's super obvious what the main event is. Um, and with this show, it was a little bit less obvious. Like I was like really fixated on like death and I was doing a joke one night working at the show at the Cherry Lane Theater. And the joke was, I'm at the YMCA pool and I see this sign, it's a true story. I see the sign that says no breath holding. And I was genuinely curious. Like I, when I was, <laughs> I saw this sign, I was like, in real life, I said to my swim instructor, what does that mean? No breath holding. Cause I thought that was part of, you know, being a human and everything it was breathing. And uh, she goes, well, there's these two guys taking turns holding their breath, like as a competition and one of them died. So anyway, 
and and I had a bunch of jokes about that. And uh, and you know, like one of the jokes was like, "Who won?" You know, and like there's just like a bunch of jokes I had on that. And what I found was when I was working out the show at Cherry Lane Theater, people would laugh at this bit so much that it was too much. <laughs> and I don't, I mean, I don't mean too much, but like it was, it, let me put it this way. It was surprising how much people were laughing at this super dark topic. Like, like it's crazy in real life to be, have a conversation where you say, hey, what's that sign? And they're like, oh, well, there's these two guys who died. You know, one of them died. And then you relay that to someone else and then they manically laugh. And so then I stopped the audience. I go, hey, I'd appreciate it. I think that was maybe too much laughter. And then what I found was that the more that I told them not to laugh, the more they laughed. And then it became this kind of like scolding bit where like I was scolding them for laughing. The more I scolded them, the more they would laugh. And I just thought, oh, that's really cool. But anyway, that's, that's how that formed. And it was Seth's idea. It was Seth, Seth said to me one night, he goes, uh, I, you should try that at the end. Like what if the whole show built towards the man who died holding his breath in the YMCA pool? And, and that, that's sort of how it happened. And we, we tried like all different variations on it. And that was, that was sort of what we landed on. Um, okay, this is from Ryan underscore Mersel. And it says, what has been your parents' response to the special? Okay, you're not gonna believe this. Uh, my parents have not seen the special. I talked to them the other night. Uh, they said, we gotta figure it out on our TV. <laughs> uh, I love my parents. I believe they love me. I'm guessing. Um, but I, I don't, they don't have, there's no pressure for them to watch my special. Um, REE117 has asked, can you talk about how you came to have your wave pool as a backdrop for Old Man in the Pool? Great question. Um, I want to send a shout out to Beowulf Barrett. Uh, Beowulf is a two-time Tony Award-winning designer who designed actually all five of these solo shows uh, that Seth and I have worked on together. And he's just phenomenal. He's just a wildly, wildly creative person, just a deeply creative person. And a year before we went up on Broadway, Seth and I started to loop Beowulf into like, what are we, what, what are we thinking about? And, you know, what, what is the show? And I would, you know, I'd send him audio of the show and Early on, it was this kind of thing where I I, I thought there should be a pool. <laughs> this is insane. Early in the process, I was like, I should, when people come in, wouldn't it be cool if I was swimming in an actual swimming pool on stage? And Beowulf, to his credit, he actually designed this. He Not only did he design it, he designed how much weight the, the water would be in the pool and how we'd get the set into the theater and all this stuff. And then at a certain point, um, I think I was in Denver and I came off stage and, you know, there's no, when I do the concert version, there's no set and there's no lighting design. And I came off stage and I was like, oh, the audience is getting it without there being a pool. And I called Seth, my director, and I go, I think we don't need a pool because I think it would tip over the concept of the show. So maybe we could do something that's kind of a reflection of that. And Beowulf came up with this unbelievable design that merges kind of graph paper. I mean, if you've seen it, you've seen a graph paper and it's a wave and it's a pool and it's all these things in it. And Hannah Kim did the projections and Aaron Kopp did the lighting design. Aaron Kopp has done four of my shows. He's incredible. 
Um, and Hanna's incredible. It's just the team is uh, extraordinary. Uh, and, and, and while we're at it, uh, Tony Leslie James it did the did the wardrobe and Kai Harada did the sound. So the design team is just, we're wildly lucky to have worked with this design team. The next question is from Appenzenelegram. All right, I don't know. I'm sorry, Appenzenelegram. Um, the question is, what made you decide to slide down the wall and did it ever not go as planned? This is a great question and kind of speaks to like, I don't know, the process of all these shows. So like I said, Beowulf designed the set and what I didn't know until we were in Los Angeles at the Mark Taper Forum was that <laughs> the wave would be strong enough to hold my weight. So I showed up and I think it was Beowulf was just like, you know, Mike, you can run up the set. You can actually run up it. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, strong enough to hold you. I'm like, it's strong enough to hold me? Like I never thought when you look at that wave that you could do that. So I just went nuts. Like I was at rehearsal. I started running up it, running down it, sliding down it, like doing everything. And and then, you know, Seth and I just started talking about like, well, what could we do in the show that uses this? And it was just literally in, in rehearsal of like, well, what if I slid down, you know, when I was talking about all the health stuff and we tried it and then it became this kind of weird thing where people were like, how'd you come up with, how'd you come up with the sliding thing? It's like, well, I don't know. It was just like a thing that happened uh, when we were there in rehearsal. So it was just a lot of, I mean, so much of what we do is trial with these shows is trial and error. And that was a trial and success, I guess. At H Ronsa wrote, I love how you ended it. Was that always the plan? Um, it was one of the plans. <laughs> Most of my shows um, usually have about two or three endings that I'm trying and failing or succeeding with for like a hmm, couple years. And with this one, it was like what I wanted to tell my parents is, you know, and cut to black. And it was an idea that I came up with when I was workshopping the show in New York City at City Winery. And there were a handful of people along the way who gave us notes about the show. And, and this is going to be a big name drop, but it, it, is, it is who gave me the note. Um, one of my favorite directors on earth from Pixar, is, uh, his name is Pete Doctor, and he directed Up and Inside Out and Soul and a bunch of other brilliant, brilliant movies. And um, he gave the note to me and Seth when we were at Berkeley Repertory Theater. He had a note about the final... A few sentences of the show, and um, I think the earlier version of the show was something where, where I basically saying is like, all we have is this moment, and and then it cuts to black. And it was he he made this point, which is like, it would be nice if if the final sentence or final few sentences were a little bit more uh, narrative based and causal. So in other words, like we, we ended up changing it. Seth and I ended up changing it to what I want to tell my parents is, and then they cut to black. And the difference between that and then the other version, which is like all we have is this moment, is one of them is like me expounding on an, a kind of an opinion or a feeling or a sentiment. And the other one is essentially like 
building up momentum for an action. Um, so in other words, it's either like, a, you know, it could have been an action or it could have been like momentum for an action. And the momentum for an action, what we found was when Seth and I were like, oh, that's interesting. And when we tried it, we were like, oh, that's better because it feels like something is about to happen. Like in other words, I'm not postulating about something. I'm not spinning my wheels about like my philosophy on life or this or that. It's like literally like, I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna tell my And there's something about that that was more moving because it gave the audience the, the Wemo experience. It gave the audience the experience of what would that be like if we were invested in the action and in the middle of the action what if that's just cut out? What does that feel like? And that was, and I have to hand it to Pete, doctor, for giving us that super, super generous note. And the final question is from Chell.K18. How important was working it out on the pod to the development of the special? Well, the thing about the podcast is that it, 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 was, a, it was a pandemic baby. We started doing it in the middle of the pandemic. And it was because I couldn't perform in front of audiences. And so it allowed me to have this kind of excuse to reach out to friends like John Mulaney and Pete Holmes, and then people who I had met but maybe didn't know as well, uh, like Natasha Leone or Hannah Gadsby, and just be like, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? And, you know, it was really interesting to hear a lot of these things, like, reflected back to me Um from people who I really respect. So like Natasha Leone was on the show and she's one of my favorite guests of all time. And I ran a bunch of jokes by her and she was kind of like laughing a little bit. And then she's like, this stuff is all like fine, but like what I love about your shows, what I love about Sleepwalk With Me and my girlfriend's boyfriend is that like the guts of it, like the like where you go there about things that are kind of uncomfortable. And I started to tell her, a few of the things on my mind about death that I was kind of afraid to talk about. Like one of them was about, you know, a close friend of ours who passed away and another person who's, um, who, you know, another, another memory from childhood that was really challenging about death. And she was like really locked into that. And it was, there was something about being in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with an artist who I respect where you can feel them being locked in to the thing that's not getting laughs per se and isn't like a crowd pleaser per se, where it forced me to reflect on, oh yeah, actually what people take home from these shows the most often are the emotional parts. And, th and that's sort of, um, I think that's one of the things that the podcast did for me. Um, so today on the show, we have my brother Joe Berbiglia. Um, he's a frequent collaborator. He contributed writing and was a producer on this show as he was with all of my shows and my movies. Um, and uh, enjoy my chat with the great Joseph Berbiglia. Just to give context for everybody, you and I have worked together professionally for uh, 17, 18 years, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I think it's 17 or 18, sure. But it's funny, like, I go back in our experience working together um, to 2004 when you self-published this album, Dog Years. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was funny because, I, you know, 
that's like the history, I think, of the company is just making stuff and then pushing it out there and, and seeing how it goes. Are. Yeah. But I always laugh because remember you had an opening night party at the comic strip. And yeah. The, I was at Upper East Side. Yeah. And um, Mitch Hedberg came in yep. as a favorite. Mitch as a Hedberg favor. threw himself in for it. Yeah. And you did and a double, double headlining show. Yeah. And everyone who came got a copy of the album. And I, the story that always sticks with me after that is that um, so, this other comedian was observing it and goes up to like Lucian Hold, the the now past uh, the manager of the club, and, and it's just like you can just self publish a comedy CD and throw a release party, and Lucian Hold just says you can do anything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, it I was, love that. It was such good advice, right? Uh, uh, like you can do anything, you know. It may not work, but uh, you know, it's no, a nice uh, legacy that, for him. That's that's a great piece of wisdom. You can do anything. It might not work. <laughs> so to prep for our uh, our interview today, I looked up some of the jokes that are cutting room floor, but that I think are really funny. They just like didn't quite fit. This is one you wrote, which is um, <laughs> the, and the signs in the wall. One of yeah. them is uh, strong swimmers, confident kids, which is probably true. But I appreciate a sign that says "Weak swimmers will do your taxes as adults." <laughs> That's funny. And then, oh, this this is something you wrote about, which I thought was funny, but it didn't make it in the show. Which is, could there possibly be more warnings on the bathing suit spinning machine oh, in I the YMCA that. locker room? <laughs> Whenever you see that many warnings on a machine, you know there have been a lot of accidents and a lot of lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Do not use the bathing suit spinning machine if you're wearing a necktie or have a ZZ Top beard. <laughs> Do not put your face directly over the bathing suit spinning machine or you may be killed by electrified <laughs> water droplets. Do not place your fingers more than four inches into the top of the bathing suit spinning machine, even when it is unplugged. <laughs> There's even a lot when of water a- and electricity in that device. My favorite part of that joke is even when it's unplugged. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I'll go to the Y and I'll spin my bathing suit. And every time I do, I'm like, whatever happened to those damn jokes? I had all these jokes about this spinner. You know, I think every time I swim and I, and I see the swim, the swim uh, bathing suit machine, I think of you. Oh. Because those, sweet. I think those are ve- for real. <laughs> no, in a good way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, because I love those jokes. Yeah. The thing that is, I think relatively specific to my process of creating these shows, Sleepwalk With Me, My Girlfriend's Boyfriend, Thank God For Jokes, the new one, and now The Old Man in the Pool, is that what it starts off as like a ton of jokes, a ton of stories, a ton of stuff, and then essentially you chisel it down to what tells the story, and then you can hang jokes on the story along the way. And so like the bathing suit machine is as, I think, as funny as any of the locker room jokes. Yeah. Other, other than maybe 100 penises, 100 vaginas. Um, but it just, like, didn't fit. It was just confusing. Some people were like, wait, what? What machines? And I was like, ah, That's it right. doesn't matter. It's a little bit of a niche product, just a little. So if you would really, you'd really like that joke or you'd really kind of not know what you're talking about. That And that's what touring is all about. That's what's so funny is, like, I'm going on this, like, 25-city tour right now for Please Stop the Ride, and a lot of it is, like, going to Florida and Texas and finding out, hey, y'all think this is funny? Because <laughs> this is what I think is funny. And then you find out. You go, okay, great. Good to know. Good information. 
Well, one of the more challenging parts about trying to pitch on your shows sometimes for me, because I like to focus on jokes, on like high points of like laugh, laughter and, and fill them in, is when you're- Oh, that's feedback. what you're into. You're into jokes. That's my thing. Yeah. No, but I mean, often you're like dramaturging, you're figuring out the story and the yeah, tempo. Sure. Yeah, right? Is the funny feedback is like, that's really funny, but we don't want to laugh. <laughs> we don't want to laugh there. It's like, oh, okay. It's true. <laughs> Yeah. No, because there's a musicality to the there shows. Is a, the show, it, that's the, what it is. The shows have a rhythm, yeah. and it's like you sometimes you want to bring the the show down at a point where you, where you're you're ruminating on like a like yeah. a like a philosophical thought, and then you launch into like the wrestling story again or whatever it is. Which, by the way, this is like a thing I left out of the show because it kind of serves no story point, which is you convinced me to join the wrestling team, which yeah. I talk, I tell the whole wrestling story. I was the worst wrestler ever. Yeah. Do you have any funny wrestling stories? Well, it's interesting. I don't know if I've told you this before, but um, my grades used to go up a lot during wrestling practice because wrestling, <laughs> between wrestling season, because it was so hard to yes. do the practice. So that I would be home with like my calculus and stuff, like, oh, this is easy. This is so this is like fun compared to how difficult wrestling practice is. It's a pleasure. <laughs> There's I had a joke about wrestling that's on the cutting room floor, which is that I would say like we'd be doing push-ups. Yeah. And our team didn't have a gymnasium, but we so we practiced in our school's theater. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole time. I'm lying on the mat and I'm looking up at the stage and I'm thinking, I should be up there. Yeah. Like, I'm not meant for this. <laughs> I should be up there. Get me off the wrestling team. Please do my hair. Please do my hair. I don't know how that ever got cut. I really And like then at that. the end I go, send in Burbigs. <laughs> <laughs> this is a... This is a run that I thought was funny, but it was too much of a digression in the wrestling thing. And maybe it'll mm -hmm. end up in the next show. I mean, that that's the thing is like when I have jokes that I think are funny or ideas, a lot of times they'll just end up in a different show though, or they'll end up in two or three specials from now. Totally. Because I haven't quite cracked what the funniest thing is about it. But I say, um, what's painful for me about being a bad athlete is that I'm very competitive, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is my Achilles heel. I'm a fierce competitor who who loses. Yeah. But I feel like the loser is the unsung contributor to sports. <laughs> without him. Has, so yeah, yeah, exactly, without <laughs> him, yeah. Someone has to lose. Yeah. And I've been willing to do it for about 45 years, and it's not easy. <laughs> you have to get out of bed every morning and put your pants on one leg at a time, and then the first leg doesn't go on because you folded it weird. And so it's the leg part inverted, but then you push your leg through, so it's like, uh, and then you try to put on the other leg, but you realize that the that one has a, a pen in the pants pocket, so that leg is like blue <laughs> and splotchy. And then you put on a shirt, but it, it got shrunk in the wash, and so your belly's protruding, which is sort of a metaphor of the wrestling match you're about to lose. And then I said, losing, losing doesn't happen in a moment. It happens all day. You need to know when you see a kid lose a wrestling match, he also missed the bus. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is one last one. I think yeah, that yeah. I still I think this has a shot somewhere. Yeah. Lo- losing is a lifetime commitment. You can't just half ass it. You have to put your whole ass into it. And then you get pants by your teammates and tied to a flagpole and made to eat a bowl of dirt in a bucket labeled chocolate and then <coughs> mocked by your team as well as the other team. This only happened once, but it really stuck with me. That's funny. <laughs> I think that's, I saw, anyway, that's a good example of like, that has a shot, I think, somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go to some swimming jokes, show if, if you're good with that. And Please. if you have any swimming stories or anything, jump in. But um, I, swimming always freaked me out as a kid because <laughs> if, it's like this activity that if you stop doing it, you die, right? Yes, yes. But what's cautionary about that, we always have to be cognizant of this as comedians, is like, Dimitri Martin has a joke that's almost that exact joke, mm-hmm. which is like swimming is a confusing sport because sometimes you do it for fun and other times you do it to not die. Yeah. And when I'm swimming, sometimes I'm not sure which one it is. <laughs> that's what <laughs> I feel. A, yeah. That's a great line. Yeah. That's Dimitri's great at economy of words with jokes. That's like yeah. a really, really good solid one. But like that is one of the things that like every now and then I'll go on tour. And with uh, with a new hour, and someone will be like, "Oh, hey, someone else has a joke like this," and I'll I'll look it up and I'll watch it, and then I'll just be like, "Is it too close?" That's Is right. it, you know. And then you have to make a judgment call. I know, Dimitri. By the way, Dimitri, if you're out there, if you're out there anywhere, 2024, we really want you on the podcast. There you go. Um, do you have any? Oh, do you have any memorable swimming stories? Any conflicts at the pool? Oh, I actually I do have a funny story. Sorry, if okay. I could do it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So my friend Mel had a pool, and uh, I was hanging out with him this summer at a party. And his sister, Christina, reminded me of, of a story at the pool where she was very small, much smaller, right? Let's say she was eight years old or seven years old, and I was 17. And she reminded me, and I totally knew this story, that I had jumped on a float <laughs> on the pool that that she ended up going under, like was going to kill her. You know, it was very frightening. And she's like, so you did that, but then you immediately jumped <laughs> and saved my life. So I was like, <laughs> so you were kind of to blame, but you also acted heroically and uh, rescued me instantly. So thank you. That is so funny. Pools Every- are crazy like that though, right? No, I know. It's just yeah. so high risk. Yeah. It's so funny because you're talking about Mel Chacharoni's pool, and I, I used yeah. to go there when I was a kid too because Maria was the same age as me, and like uh, they had the sign, the famous sign that has the joke, yeah. welcome to our ool, notice there's no <laughs> pee in it, let's keep it that way. Yeah. And I, I, uh, I proclaim to this very day that is the best joke joke <laughs> I saw as a child. Like it was the first time I saw a joke and I'm like, yeah, that's funny. That's a really funny turn of phrase. <laughs> but it, it's funny you say that because our neighbors, the Ashworths, they had a sign that said, we don't swim in your toilet, don't be in our pool. <laughs> <laughs> Which also oh, struck gosh. me as a very brilliant piece of writing. Yes. That pool supply store is cleaning up with those signs. Oh my God. That's a great industry. <laughs> That's a burgeoning industry. The more people be in pools, the better that industry does.
Support for Working Out comes from Aura Frames. We all love taking photos on our phones, right? But there's so many of them. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of photos wasting away in your camera roll. Stop scrolling through so many photos. Start putting them to good use with a unique, stylish, digital picture frame from Aura Frames. I got one of them right by my bedside. It's like a slideshow of photos that I really like from my, of my family that sort of scrolls through on this little frame, this little picture frame. I love it. Free unlimited storage. You can add unlimited photos and videos. Invite as many people as you want to a frame. There are absolutely no hidden fees or subscriptions, and it's private. You have complete control over who has access to your frame. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code WIO. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com, code W-I-O. Terms and conditions apply. Support for Mike Birbiglia's Working It Out comes from Helix Sleep. Helix has been with this podcast from the very beginning. We are huge Helix mattress fans over here. Let me tell you a few things that are great about Helix Sleep mattresses. They are fiberglass-free. Unlike other brands, Helix mattresses do not contain fiberglass, which can be harmful to your health. As you may have seen in the news or on social media, there have been a number of health issues and lawsuits related to fiberglass and mattresses. You know, actually, I used to, I used to have a mattress that was pure fiberglass. It was just, it was literally a bed of fiberglass. No longer. I sleep on Helix mattresses, which are fiberglass-free. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash burbigs. That's helixsleep.com slash burbigs. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. No, now. Now, wait a minute. Um, did the joke stay in there about the um, coffee maker that also makes soup? Or was that cut? No, that's a great joke. That's a late cut. That's a great one. That was what I was. That was the joke. Was I'm going to try to remember it? I, uh, I'm going to look You're it describing up. Describing the YMCA. Yeah. Um, so that okay. So the line you're <laughs> referencing is, I feel like we all have something from our childhood where even as a child we think, I'm never going back there. And for me, it was the YMCA pool. I don't know if it was the chlorine smell or the half-blown-up basketballs or the snack machine room with a coffee maker that also makes soup or the rowing machine that's also a fan that seems to be powering the entire <laughs> building. I'm pretty sure the whole YMCA power grid is based on a 75-year-old man in a V-neck. <laughs> yeah. That was, I honestly, I love that joke. Yeah. I think at a certain point what happened was we were like, how long can I talk about the damn YMCA pool? That's right, yeah. At a certain point, people are like, wait, are you going to do an hour on the YMCA pool? <laughs> yeah, the YMCA shrunk, I think, in general as a piece. I think that's right. I think that's yeah. right. Um, but this this is another line that cutting room floor from the Y, which I thought was really funny, good observation. I always had an intense fear of drowning in the pool, and I'd reach for those blue and white balls that separate the shallow end from the sudden death area. And those balls will not support you unless you weigh the amount of a rope. 
Those balls are like, look, Mike, I'd love to help, but I got my hands full with all this rope. <laughs> I thought that was super solid. And I I think the, the blue and white balls that separate the challenge and, and, the, and, the, and the sudden death area are fun. I remember that YMCA. <laughs> I, I once took a karate class there. Did you ever do that? Like karate. At no, the, I never did that. At the Greendale Y. No. You want to talk about something I was terrible at? Right <laughs> <laughs> you take like two classes, do some tumbling. Do you remember, did you get your ass kicked or was it okay? <sighs> Just did some rolling around and stuff. And then it's like, do you want to buy the karate outfit? It's $175. And it's like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny is like, to your point about uh, this could tag on to your karate thing. I didn't take karate growing up, but I did uh, recently try kickboxing. Yeah. And at the end of the lesson, this is a joke that I did a few times. At the end of the, the first lesson, the instructor said to me, she goes, um, if you ever do this again, <laughs> I go, if I ever do it again, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do it again. I just purchased a six pack of lessons from you Moments ago at that desk, I think I'm going to try it again if you ever do this again. That's a true story. I mean, I, that's how bad I was at kickboxing. I'm just not, I'm not cut out for the martial arts. Yeah. I did kickboxing here in Providence and um, injured my knee for weeks. <laughs> like yeah. One kickboxing class that, I don't know, I kicked too hard or something. You can injure your, the point is you can injure yourself if you're not careful with a lot of these things. Oh, yeah. Um. I'm going to do the, the, the joke about mom uh, at the YMCA pool. So I actually used to, I did a joke on Thank God for Jokes. Yeah. Is that I said I was raised by late people. My parents are ladies. When I was a kid, my mom used to pick me up from my swim class at the YMCA. 90 minutes after the class would end, she was like the cable company. Like, I will pick you up between the hours of 2 p.m. and 6 p.m. Yeah. I was a 10-year-old child standing on a street corner dripping wet bathing suit and flip-flops. My mom wasn't on the way. She was at the book club talking about the color purple. I was like, Mom, I am the color purple. She was so late for pickups and, like, coming home and all sorts of things growing up. As a child, I don't want to say I was traumatized, but I would really worry about her. Like, maybe she got in a car accident. Like, regularly, like, two-plus hours, two, two to three hours late for <laughs> I worried about yeah, I worried about it all the time. Right? I feel like I constantly worried are our parents okay? Yeah. But maybe that's an 80s thing. Maybe that's not our parents. Maybe all the <laughs> 80s parents were late. <laughs> yeah. Did you notice that we weren't an I love you family growing up because that's one of the big themes of the old man in the pool? Right. Did you notice it growing up? Did you ever think like this is odd? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely something I clocked. Uh, you just sort of internalize that, right? Yeah. Do you say I love you to your kids? Yes. Yeah. That's nice. So the trauma doesn't continue generation <laughs> to generation. I try to end the cycle. <laughs> but end as a result, cycle, I'm Joe. not going to get. As a result, I'm not going to get any com comedians and comedy writers out of the deal. No, I know you're right. That's right. That's right. That's you never problem. know. Maybe yeah. maybe they'll be clowns. Well adjusted. Uh, yeah. Well adjusted. Yeah. Guilt ridden. You know. Yeah. No, it's um, it's so funny because I always have this thought that I'm going to end up on the phone with mom and dad 
and they're going to see the special and they're going to say, I love you. Like, I, I, mm. I just feel like that's in my future somewhere, but I don't, Clo I don't know when. Closure. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'll tell you one thing that I, I, I left out of the special, but it is, I think, kind of a funny story, which is that literally when I was in high school, I said to mom and dad, I was like, why don't you tell me you love me? Because yeah. I really did clock it. And mom goes, we do wub you. I was like, ah, <laughs> uh, that's not the same word. <laughs> I love that. You said W-U-B. That's oh closer to rug than it is to love. Oh, my gosh. We do wub you. That was in an earlier draft of the show, too. I can't believe you dropped that. It was in, yeah, no, no, I did that for a while. As I a like story. that a lot. I know, it's a fun one. I mean, honestly, like maybe the come, some of this stuff will come back in another yeah. show, but but uh, but that's nice. That's nice you say I love you to, to Henry and Merritt. That's mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Do you have any other kids? <laughs> Not that I know of. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jesus. Hey, oh. Um, um, mm -hmm. one of the things, you know, whenever I do these specials, I always have to make a decision about when I have people in them, whether I use their real name or their fake name. Yeah. And usually it comes down to, uh, do I know and love the person still? <laughs> right. <laughs> because, because if I don't know them anymore, it's kind of like, ah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But um, the one that we kept the same was Mr. Naples. And it yes. was because we really, he was a beloved person in our family. Sure. And it felt, it felt weird to me. I used fake names a few times and I was like, no, I think he'd think this is very funny. The doorbell, like, bing, bong, bing, Oh, yeah, bong, he would really, bing, he'd, bong, bing, that would bong. make him roar. Yeah, yeah, I think he really, he had a great sense of humor, for sure. He was a riot. He was, like, genuinely, like, a very funny person. He's one of the first people who let me in, like, grown-up jokes. And when I say that, I don't mean, like, dirty jokes. That's I right. more just mean, like, <laughs> like snarkiness, like like when you're with your friend and you know, like you make fun of something, and you don't treat the person like they're a ten year old. You treat That's them right. like they're a grown up. You know what I mean? That's right. I think kids really appreciate that. I know um, Merritt appreciates that with some of my my friends, and he has said said as much. I mean, that's I hope I hope uh, Merritt and Henry feel that way about me because I treat them like they're grown ups. I don't treat them like they're I think they kids. feel that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel that way about all my nephews and nieces. Like, I'm just like, I I don't know. I Maybe that's an, a wrong impulse, but I feel like for Mr. Naples, I always had a sense of like, no, he's respecting me and he's treating me like I'm a person instead of like a kid. And I, I, right. I, I always yeah. appreciated that about him. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I have to say for the studio here, yeah. the podcast studio, I'm thinking of for the outside of the door, getting a doorbell where we have the chimes go off, bring, 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 bring in the office. It would be super easy to do that, yeah. Does that even exist? Of course. In fact, yeah, if you just bought any doorbell, you can just select that one now, right? So cheap. No, but I'm saying actual chimes. I'm saying actual chimes. We don't have the square footage in that office for those That's chimes. true. No, you're right, you're right. Joe's the voice of reason in my life. Like grown up in the room. Hey friends, this is a little shout out to my cats, Precious and Mr. Mustache. This ad is, is for them. Those are my two cats. I love my pets. I know you love your pets too. And today's episode is sponsored 
by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. They offer customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you and me to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO for working it out. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Working It Out is supported by Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can upload video content, organize your video library, and showcase your content. On beautiful video pages, you can even access your video library by adding a paywall to your content. My God, Squarespace is keeping up with the times. They're the forerunners of the industry. They're way ahead of us and right with us. I made up that slogan. I should point out that this is an ad for Squarespace, but I love Squarespace. Our website for Thank God for Jokes was Squarespace. Our website for Stand Up and Vote was Squarespace. Couldn't recommend it more highly. We use it all the time. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, head to squarespace.com slash burbigs, B-I-R-B-I-G-S, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash burbigs to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. It was really great to see your show, perform, you performing the show, Old Man in the Pool, in London. But some of it, I was just, I had never spent that much time in London before. And it is a little bit surreal to walk. I mean, what did it seat? Seven hundred people. We were doing eight shows. Yeah, a week. like something. Like, yeah, eight hundred. Yeah. something. and I, I just sat down the first night. Like, I mean, no offense, but it's like, who are all these? Who are all these people? <laughs> <laughs> no offense, but who are all these people? Right? It's like I'm in London. How yeah. do they know? You know, and um, so I chat up the people next to me. Right, uh, this couple. It's like you know, how do you are you are you very familiar with Mike? You know that kind of thing. And they say, oh, yeah, you know, we listened to him, his uh, specials over the years on, on Netflix and, um, and at university and whatnot. And uh, I say, oh, I'm, I'm Joe, Mike's brother. I'm here with him. Uh, I work with him. And they, and they said, uh, the woman said, oh, you're Joe from the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, people listen to that thing? <laughs> no, it is funny, right? Just, like you, you create this thing. We just with, thought we did, we t-shirt cannoned it into a forest. Right? And you're like, Oh, yeah. it's really, it really gets out there. So it was very gratifying uh, to the entire team of producers who work on this and yourself as well. And uh, that was that was pretty gratifying and fun. But Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I mean, I hope you're not insulted. I thought, like, who are all these people? Because it's like, I'm in London. Like, no, no. I'm around I the think world. That every, I think that every... I think it every day. I, every time I show up and the people are there, huh, okay. <laughs> I guess we're going to keep doing this. Right? I always say to my audience, like... 
if you guys keep showing up, I'll keep writing shows. Right? But when they stop, <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you feel about the special coming out? Does it feel different from the other specials? Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. Uh, it looks fantastic. I think the you know the, it, that it was we were able to shoot it in that that Lincoln Center Theater. I think really made all the difference because the set is just was fantastic. And I think you're you're getting you know for you, I think you've come a long way. Like you're getting more comfortable with you know shooting for these the stress it's the whole production of it and so i think this one was really clean with how it came together and it looks great and uh i, I think uh people are going to really enjoy it around the world and i don't i'm excited about it let's let's uh finish it off with working it out for a cause yeah. is there an organization that you want to contribute to oh, yeah i always like to go out to the rhode island food bank where uh Rhode Island is a small but mighty state and, um, you know, does have a lot of food insecurity. And uh, and so I always I always like to support the, the Rhode Island Food Bank and I, and I think they appreciate it. And I think they really know how to stretch a dollar. Yes, I always say that about food banks. Is like you can, I, I get, you know, I contribute to a lot of food banks of cities I perform in and I, so I get all the literature. And if you read the literature, you see how much, you know, $20, $50, $100 can go. Yeah. With, with in the hands of a food bank. It's incredible. So yeah. um, we will contribute to them. We'll, we'll link to them in the show notes. Thank you, Joe Berbiglia, for episode number three. And if people liked number three, go back to two and one. They're both fun, too. I always enjoy <laughs> coming on. All right. Well, thanks, Joe. Working it out because it's not done. Working it out because there's no one. That's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. I always love talking to my brother, Joe Berbiglia, uh, the old man in the pool, is on Netflix now. Uh, thank you for everyone who watched it and shared it. It means the world to all of us who worked on the show. Check out Berbigs.com to sign up for the mailing list. Um, I have a bunch of, I basically announced 24 tour cities of Police Off the Ride, and I'm about to announce another 20, probably in the next, like, four weeks for, uh, for the rest of the year. So it's going to end up being, like, 44 cities across America. Um, so join the mailing list. You will be the first to know. The producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, associate producer Mabel Lewis, consulting producer Seth Barish, assistant producer Gary Simons, sound mix by Kate Belinsky. Special thanks to Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Hubfall, as well as David Raphael and Nina Quick. My consigliere is Mike Berkowitz. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. They have some new singles out right now that are fantastic. Special thanks to my wife, the poet, J. Hope Stein. You can follow her on Instagram at J. Hope Stein. Her book is called Little Astronaut. Special thanks, as always, to my daughter, Una, who built the original radio fort made of pillows. Thanks, everybody, for watching uh, many of these episodes. This one today is not on YouTube, but the last one, the Pete Holmes one. Uh, is on YouTube, the full episode. The Joe Firestone one is on YouTube. Um, we're having a lot of fun with that. Seems like people dig it. Uh, subscribe to uh, my YouTube channel uh, for more of those clips. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. If you enjoy the show, rate and review an Apple podcast. That helps. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. Like maybe, for example, you've started a swimming regimen at the local public pool or YMCA, you bump into someone in the walker's lane. Don't splash them. Don't get in an argument. Just let them know, hey, 
if you enjoy swimming here, maybe you'd enjoy this Netflix comedy special by Mike Birbiglia that's not about swimming, but it, it, it thematically ties to swimming and has kind of a swimming metaphor to it. And then if you like that, check out the podcast that he has called Working It Out, where he talks about the creative process of coming up with jokes and stories. And sometimes he does it with his brother, Joe. And then you won't have that enemy. You'll have a new swimming buddy. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you next time. <laughs>